You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. App and go to Second Samuel chapter twelve this morning, and we are going to continue from last week. If you were here last week, we read something that was really difficult to read about somebody who is supposedly a man after God's own heart, David. Bible says two times he's a man after God's own heart, and we saw him do some pretty terrible, terrible things. So, um, I, but before I forget, actually, too, I want to let you know in the video announcements, uh, it mentioned first Wednesday service. We are having a first Wednesday service right here at Eagle Creek at 7 p.m. Uh, you can get here at 6.30, so you're here at the start of the service. We just uh, forgot to get that in the video announcements. Uh, that was our bad this week. So y- you could go to the Fishers one if you really want to. It's totally cool. You know, we're all one church and in different places, but just so you know, we are going to have one here, okay? But back to 2 Samuel. Uh, David two times is called a man after God's own heart, and we saw him last week um, take another man's wife, get her pregnant, and then have that other man killed to try to cover things up because she was pregnant. You know, so if you weren't here, that's in a nutshell. There was a lot more to it. And then we got to watch a really uncomfortable but hilarious VeggieTales clip uh, where it, it was about this story, and, but it wasn't about a, a king and all his women. It was about a king and all his rubber duckies and uh, how he wanted someone else's rubber ducky and all his duckies he had were yesterday's duckies. It was really uncomfortable. When you know what it's really about, it was really uncomfortable. Uh, But anyways, uh, you could go back and watch that, uh, and if you want to catch up, there was a lot of good stuff there, even though it was hard to read. And we're at the pivot point of 2 Samuel. The whole first part has been devoted to his triumphs, his victories, and we're on the part that's about his transgressions, his shortcomings, his major, major failures, which pivots us to the rest of the book, which is all about his troubles. And uh, it's, it's funny and, and not so funny how really it's the same in all of history and for all of us. It could take one indiscretion, one we could have a perfect record, and we have one indiscretion, and it pivots our whole life. Yes, there's forgiveness, and yes, God uh, re- restores us in heaven, but that there are still consequences after those indiscretions, and we're going to read a little bit about that today. But it all started with David, and I wanted to repeat this. It all started in the very first verse when it says in chapter 11, in the time when kings went to war, David stayed home. If he had been doing what he was supposed to be doing when he was supposed to be doing it, none of the other stuff would have happened. She said, Pastor Mike, how do I avoid sin? How do I avoid falling into these traps? Well, sometimes it's just simple. Just occupy yourself doing the right things. Then you won't have time to do the wrong things. And, and there's no better example than this passage where it, it, it just starts there. It, when he's supposed to be at war, He's at home. And even Uriah, who he has killed, when he brings Uriah home to try to get him drunk, to try to sleep with his wife so he can make it look like it was Uriah's kid, Uriah's like, I can't do this. I'm supposed to be at war. By the way, so are you, David. But he didn't do that. And it was that one indiscretion. And we get to the end of the chapter, and Uriah's dead. 
and Uriah's wife mourned, but David gets to look like the hero because he takes her in, you know, he takes in a widow and oh, this man after God's own heart. Hard pill to swallow. And it all started with him not being where he was supposed to be. And the question heading into today is, are you where you're supposed to be? I mean, you're right now sitting here at Life Church Eagle Creek, you are where you're supposed to be, just to be clear. But in life in general, <laughs> are you where you're supposed to be? We're going to read about the prophet Nathan this week and uh, a little bit about him. Some people think he may have written some or all of First, Second Samuel. He would have spent a lot of time with David because that's what prophets did at the time. He was a, probably a, a student of Samuel's. Samuel had a school of the prophets. He was probably one of the students, perhaps handpicked by Samuel to be his, um, his, um, the person who comes after him. And prophets, in general, stand up to the most powerful men and women and bring them to account. And that's what we saw Samuel do with Saul, and that's what we're about to see Nathan do with David. They stand up to people who could kill them and hold them accountable to the truth. It'd be nice, just as a side note, if we had some prophets today that would stand up to the men and women who are powerful in our society and hold them accountable, wouldn't it? It'd be nice to see some accountability. But sometimes leaders don't take well to prophets. They just don't, right? And, and we have to kind of take that into account when we look at what Nathan's about to do. It was really risking his life. After what he knows David did in, in this situation, what else would David be capable of, right? And Scripture does, it doesn't really tell us how Nathan knows, but it's going to become obvious Nathan knows what David did. And he also saw what Saul did when he was king and killing all the priests. So he, he had to, we have to really take a minute to accept the tension that, brought, that this brought to Nathan to, to go to David and confront this issue. It would have been a lot easier for him to just say, I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to let God deal with it. Anybody ever just say that? You know what? I'm not going to go there. Let God sort them out. Right? It would be a lot easier for him to do that. And even, but if, even if he did do that, God would probably say, yes, I am going to deal with it by using you to deal with it. <laughs> right? You know, we, we generally, when we say we're leaving it to God, we really just want God to solve it all for us without us being involved. Like, I just want you to, I'm going to sit in my recliner chair with some chips and salsa. God, you deal with it. Right? But that's not what Nathan did, and we have to take a minute to appreciate that he didn't take the easy road, and we'll learn from Nathan how to confront someone who needs to be confronted in a brilliant manner. Nathan not only prayed about this, but he thought it through thoroughly, and we can learn something from what we see. So let's go there, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. It says... So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except for one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised her. She grew up with him and his children. From his meager food she would eat, from his cup she would drink, in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Some of you pet parents 
maybe understand that. <laughs> now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guests. <laughs> David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. <laughs> Because he has done this thing and shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. Nathan replied to David, you are the man. That's not a situation I want someone to tell me, you're the man. <laughs> this is what the Lord God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah and if that was not enough I would have given you even more why then have you done have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife you murdered him with the Ammonite sword now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel and in broad daylight. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, And the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this manner, the son born to you will die. So he doesn't really mince words here. <laughs> um, but I, I want to I just take his approach, Nathan's approach. He uses an analogy, a metaphor, so to speak. He tells him about sheep, which he knows David is a shepherd. So he knows David has a special place in his heart for sheep. Now, last week we showed that VeggieTale clip about <laughs> duckies, and uh, it, the, the, veg, the video actually goes on to illustrate this point. I thought maybe we could follow it up this week if you want to see how they do it in VeggieTales. It's not quite as uncomfortable as last week, I mean, humorous, uh, but it, it is fun. How many have already seen, like, you grew up watching VeggieTales? Yeah? yeah? Well, yeah, some of us, my age and older, are raising our hands because we grew up with our kids watching VeggieTales, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? But this was, again, the, King George and the Dougie was my first VeggieTale ever, and I just could not believe my eyes. So uh, here's, here's kind of the clip of what we're covering today. We will give him the highest honor of the kingdom. Yes, sire. If he were conscious, I'm sure he would thank you. I'll take him to his room now. Thank you, Cedric. Now, finally, I can take that bath. Oh, I feel just terrible. Oh, that's all right. I still have time for my bath. What? Are you the only one you think about? No. I've been thinking about this ducky for quite some time now. Since Thomas has lost his marbles, he won't be needing it. So come on, help me out with that bath. Oh, great. Come in. I did. I see. 
And who are you? You remember me. I am Melvin, that slightly odd wise man who shows up every so often to tell you things. Ah, yes. Well, what is it? I have to tell you a little story. Not now. I'm gonna go take a bath. Come back at bedtime. It's important. Oh, okay. What's that? It's a flannel graph to illustrate. Ooh, flannel graph. There once was a man, a very rich man. He had a lot of sheep. He had a lot of lamb. He threw a lot of parties. He was dapper. He was tan. Yes, there once was a very rich man. Okay, great story. I'll uh, see you next time. Uh... Wait just a minute. My story isn't done. It's about two men, and I've only mentioned one. Oh. There once was a man, a very poor man. He had next to nothing, just a little lamb. But he loved it like a son, and he fed it from his hand. Yes, there once was a very poor man. Then one day, there was a guest at the house of the rich man. What did he do? Have you guessed to feed the guest of the rich man? Well, let's see. He had plenty of sheep, so he could just share one of his sheep. Not a problem. He took the lamb of a poor man. He took the lamb of a poor man. The rich man took to feed his guest the very, very poor man's lamb. What? Is, is that a, is that a true story? As surely as I stand before you today, my story is true. Who is that man? Tell me. To take the lamb of the poor man, when he had lots of sheep of the poor man only had one. Man! For his cruelty, he will spend the rest of his days locked in my dungeon. Who is he? Some of you are like, I came to church today to watch a kids show. Okay. Uh, yeah, if you weren't here last week, you had, they go together. But uh, it also maybe will help you to remember this story. And maybe actually visualize a little bit more what it might have been like for David to come to the realization of what he's actually done. Because up to this point, he really thought he got away with something, and it uh, has actually been a whole year since all of that went down. 
So in his mind, he may have even convinced himself that, oh, I did do the right thing. I'm taking care of Bathsheba. Probably better than Uriah could have taken care of her ever. Like he may have even bought into his own press. So, and it's been so distant from him. This would have been an awakening for David. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that in your life where you had a realization, I'm not who I thought I was. I didn't realize I was doing that. This is not who I meant to be. That's kind of the moment he's having in, in, a, in a grand scale because, we, because of how grand his sin was, right? And he says, you are that man. And David in verse 5, infuriated with the man, said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die because he has done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. See, Nathan was being very careful to, to use prose or a narrative to illustrate this point. He used sheep knowing that David was a shepherd and as a shepherd he would love sheep and he would appreciate the value of sheep, especially someone who only had one. And, and this is just a story, but it's actually very uh, explicit in the way it says he had one lamb, he grew up with the kids, the lamb grew up with the kids, ate from their own food. This was really like a family pet. I, I said that, it's for you pet parents, right? This was some, some uh, a lamb they loved and, and it was part of the family, so to speak, that he then took. So we really, I mean, there, it wasn't just like he only had one lamb. It was, he had a lamb they loved, gave them his own food, grew up with the kids. Like this is a really important part of their family and this rich man took that sheep. And so he's using this to illustrate a point in a way that David would really understand it. David hasn't, it hasn't occurred to David yet what he's talking about. Again, because this is what happened is distant in his mind. But communication, and this is what I mean when Nathan confronts David in this brilliant manner. Because communication is done with the other person in mind. If you, especially if you're confronting somebody. If you're confronting somebody, you can't always just, hey, you're wrong. This is terrible what you did. You're a terrible, rotten person. That's really not a way to confront somebody. Sometimes it comes out like that, and sometimes they leave you no choice. I get that. But... That's not the approach Nathan takes. He speaks to David in a way he'll understand so that then he can uncover what's really going on. It's communication that way. It's to help someone understand what you understand in a language they understand. Did you get all that? Help someone understand what you understand in a language they understand. Play it back later. And he says, and, and, and then David, David's like, man, this guy deserves to die, which is crazy because the law, David would have known, this was not punishable by death. You know, stealing someone's lamb was not punishable by death. On the other hand, murder was punishable by death. Adultery was punishable by death. And so it's, there's some irony, some tragic irony to David's words when he says, this man shall surely die. Who is he? Now, when I read this, this next part, I think of the phrase, you're the man. And there's really two ways, two meanings to that phrase. You know, when I say to Ethan, hey, you're the man, you played really good on drums today, and you're, you're the man. That's a positive thing, right? That's, that's a good thing. 
But there's a whole other meaning to that phrase, and, and maybe to shed light on that, there's this concept, of may, maybe it's outdated, but there's a concept of uh, sticking it to the man. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We gotta stick it to the man. Have you ever seen School of Rock? Jack Black has a whole uh, monologue about sticking it to the man and how the man, you know, ruined the ozone and put Shamu in a chlorine tank and ruined music with MTV. You gotta stick it to the man, the man. And uh, later in the show, they, t- they see the principal walk by and they say, Miss Mullins, you're the man. She thinks that's a good thing. They didn't mean it in a good way. <laughs> you know, not the kind of man you wanna stick it to. So I don't think, I, I just think, this is how I think, okay? I'm just sharing with you. But it, when he says, the next very next verse, he says, you are the man. This is not the good man. This is the man, this is the man in leadership that we wanna stick it to the one that abuses his authority, the one that tells people to do things that he doesn't do, the one that covers up what he does do. We've got a lot of people like that. Probably you know that we, in, in office today, that I, we don't know what it is because they keep covering it up, but we'd really like to stick it to the man. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Right, that's David in this point. Yeah. David's being that way. He says, verse seven, You're the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that wasn't enough, I would have given you even more. You are where you are. You have what you have. You rule what you rule. You've been delivered from what you've been delivered from, all because of me, and I wanted to do more for you, David. What blessings we miss out on when we go to do our own thing. Some, some, some of us understand this as parents, right? Have you ever wanted so badly to bless your kids with things that would just blow their minds, but their behavior or life choices has tied your hands? It's heartbreaking for both parties, right? I just want to bless you. In, in a much bigger way, God's saying, I would have done more for you. But now you've made it so I can't. Are there things God can't do? Yeah. Can't lie. You can't bless sin. There's things God cannot do. People like to try to paint you in a corner, like, oh, you believe in God? Is there something God can't do? Like, yeah. What's the big deal? Of course there, there's things God can't do. Verse 9. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword, and therefore the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the life and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on you from your own family. We're going to read about this. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes. We're going to read about this. He will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel in broad daylight. Last week I said it this way. The things we try to cover up in our lives, like David tried to cover this up, the things we cover, God will uncover. The things that we uncover that we bring out in the open willingly, 
to the God, God will cover. New Testament in, in 1 Peter, I believe it is, says, love covers a multitude of sins. And so there's a principle here we need to learn from David that when we try to cover things up, it's really silly because God sees everything. Right? We don't know necessarily how Nathan knew all this, except that probably God tattled on David. Because <laughs> God knew it. But how silly it is when we try to cover things and how it ends up very poorly when things get uncovered. Again, parents, teachers, leaders, te uh, mentors for kids, you know what I'm talking about. When I was in sixth grade, <laughs> I was in sixth grade, okay? So don't judge me about what I'm about to say. But this girl was really bothering me in class. And I probably, well, I did. I definitely called her a bad name. Uh, it rhymes with witch. <laughs> right? I was in sixth grade. It was a long time ago, okay? I'm uncovering it. <laughs> the teacher heard me. Called me to her desk and said, did you just call her that? I said, call her what? What are you talking about? <laughs> what? Everybody's talking. That could have been anybody. She said, you're lying to me. No, no, I'm not. And the girl came over and said, yeah, he called me that. My friends heard it. Like there was, you know, the presence of two or three witnesses now. <laughs> and I just looked at my teacher. She said, that's it. I'll never forget this. To this day, when I hear these two words, I think of that moment. <laughs> Mrs. Kelly was her name. And she said, Mike, that's a double whammy. <laughs> what? You called her that name and then you lied about it. That's a double whammy. <laughs> it got uncovered. You get, get, get what I'm saying? It would not have been as bad for me had I just owned it and be like, ah, okay, you're right, I did that. <laughs> right? Our sin gets uncovered. And that's what's happening to David. And he's very explicit with this. You did this in secret, I'm going to do this in the open. You're going to reap what you sowed. What goes around comes around. Your, home, your house will not know peace. You will always live your life with a sword. You're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your wives. And it's going to happen in front of everybody. This is really bad news for David. Up to this point, David's been the hero. We all wanted to be David. We talked about this in 1 Samuel. When David kills Goliath, I want to be the hero. I want to be the one that kills Goliath. But when we're honest with ourselves, our sin nature, we're more like Saul. We talked about that in 1 Samuel. But we always wanted to be like David. Here's kind of the bad news. Now we're a little bit more like David. Like, Pastor, I feel so encouraged. Thank you so much. <laughs> Hang on. You acted in secret, but I'll do this before everyone in broad daylight, David responded, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. I have to imagine he's on his knees, chin to chest, weeping, shaking under the weight of his guilt. I've sinned against the Lord. This statement, this moment right here, this happening, this is the thing that sets David apart as a man after God's own heart. You look at everything he did and you say, how is this a man after God's own heart? This is it. Honest question, right? How can we say he's a man after God's own heart? After everything he does. Here's a question for you. What do you do when it dawns on you that you have royally and in spectacular fashion screwed up? 
Many of us will defend ourselves out of self-preservation. Some will blame other people. Adam and Eve, right? Adam, why did you eat the fruit? Well, this woman you gave me. We'll blame others. Some will make a case for their sin and, and blame their history and their environment. And David might have even could, do, could have done that. Look, it's been hard. It's been a hard life, God. I've been running and hiding from Saul. He took his daughter from me and let her marry someone else. Like, it's hard, it's hard God. <laughs> and that's what a lot of people do when they're confronted with themselves. They make excuses. They make justifications. But David's response here is what sets him apart as a man after God's heart. He owns it. He admits it. And he is repenting from it. And instead of running from God and hiding from God, he runs to God. I've done this, Lord. I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. There it is, right there. This is what makes him a man after God's own heart. And Nathan's reply is the glimmer of hope. Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die which, remember, he deserves to die. The law condemned him to death. God's grace. David, like us, doesn't totally understand the grace of God. He was ready to kill someone for taking a sheep. Not punishable by death. What he did was. See, David didn't really have a grip on grace as much as grace had a grip on David. true for you and me. We really, in our finite minds, cannot fathom the amazing grace of God. We cannot get our hands on it. But the good news is, in Christ, grace has its hands on you. David, you're not going to die, but someone had to die. there were still consequences, right? Verse 14, however, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this manner, the son born to you will die. And then Nathan went home. There were still consequences. Being forgiven, the most important thing, doesn't remove consequences. It just doesn't. I heard a story once about a drunk driver hit a family and someone became just injured, broke legs, multiple, I don't know, really bad. And the guy felt bad. And he went to the hospital. And he asked for forgiveness. He got forgiveness. His guilt was removed. Did that heal the person that he hurt? Mm -mm. there's still consequences he still has to live with what he did he's forgiven but there's still consequences when my kids come to me and they've messed up which doesn't happen often they're just perfect little angels <laughs> but when they have I will forgive them ten times out of ten 
But sometimes there are still consequences, especially as they get older, there are consequences that aren't even in my power to reverse. So don't, don't get confused here. David is forgiven. In fact, the ultimate consequence was that he was supposed to die, and he doesn't. But there are still consequences. The good news is God walks through that with us. And the very good news is God doesn't sentence us to die. David's story here, as awful as it is, is our story. This is our story. You're like, Pastor, I'm not taking other people's wives and having people killed. No, we all have sinned, Romans says, and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus really drove this home when he was walking. And in, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he, he, he said things like, if you even lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery. The sin is in your heart. If you hate somebody in your heart, you've already murdered them. So before we judge people who follow through with those thoughts, the same thing that was in their heart is in our heart, and it condemns us. This is our story, which on one hand is very dark, but remember this. If we all have moments like he had with, with Nathan here, earth-shattering moments where we realize what we've really done. We realize we're not who we want to be. We realize that we can't do it. We have to come to a moment like that. It's impossible really to come to the grace of God until we know how badly we need it. And that's what we see here with David. You're the man. And what he did is what makes him a man after God's heart. And what we do in response to our failures either makes us a person after God's own heart or a person far from God. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.